Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Friends, as we remember our brokenness and need for God's continued lessons for us, please join me in our unison prayer printed in, our, in the bulletins, our prayer for forgiveness this morning. This will be followed by a silent prayer of confession, which is actually on the second page of your bulletin. So you will need to turn the bulletin um, to find the silent confession. Let us pray. Hear the brokenness of our lives, precious God. We cover our ears so we cannot hear the cries of those in need or you urging us to respond. We rush together to defend every issue that matters to us but quickly disperse when you would call us to be your holy people. We shout as loud as we can to cheer on our sports teams, but can manage only whispers when it comes to sharing the good news. Forgive us our everlasting Lord, and do not hold our sins against us. We lay the garments of our foolishness at your feet, so you might clothe us in grace and hope. We would feed on the spiritual food which flows from your heart, so we might be strong enough to follow Jesus as he leads us in the way, the truth, and the life. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading today comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
you know, that is not a bad day to get a Bible and cake. <laughs> Sign me up. Good morning, friends. Okay, we'll try again. Good morning, friends. Oh, I'm so glad you're there. <laughs> Friends, it is a delight and an honor to be with you this day. I had a marvelous day yesterday with officers of the church, with elders and deacons. It was an honor and a blessing to be in conversation with those women and men whom you have called to be your leaders in this time. I'm so grateful for the invitation that came nearly a year ago from your former pastor, from Dr. Fair, a Fairfax Fair, a friend of mine for many years, from Jay Sanderford, a friend of mine for many years. I have marvelous Jay Sanderford stories. I will tell them for a small fee. Just don't worry. Most of them are true. I bring you greetings from your sisters and brothers at a place called Village Presbyterian Church in Prairie Village, Kansas, where I am honored to be the senior associate pastor there. I've been there for two and a half years. Previous to that, I was privileged to be on the faculty of Columbia Theological Seminary in Atlanta, where I taught for 15 years. I am so honored to be with you this day. So listen for the word of God as it continues to come to us. This is from the Gospels in the New Testament area. This is a letter that Peter is writing to the churches. It follows the Gospels. It's the end of the New Testament. This is the reading for the day. 1 Peter 2, listen for the word of God as it comes to us. So the Apostle Peter is writing to the churches and says, Rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tested and tasted that the Lord is good. So come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, he has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of God who has brought you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to the churches. These are fledgling Christians who are just barely understanding who they are and why they exist. Bible scholars talk about the New Testament, the whole New Testament, really being about two things, about identity and purpose. Identity and purpose. Thank goodness that question was answered for the church years and years ago. We're not worried about our identity and our purpose in these days. No, the truth is, we're trying to understand who we are and what it is that God is calling us to do in these days. The Reformed Church of Hungary is one of the oldest Presbyterian churches in the world. They started Reformation activity, roots and studying and preaching and writing, nearly a hundred years before the Reformation began in Germany and Switzerland. So the Reformed Church, the Presbyterian Church of Hungary, proudly was hosting an international gathering in the birthplace of the Reformation in Central Europe in Debrecen, a university town, not unlike Ann Arbor, in the eastern part of Hungary. At the time, I was teaching at Columbia Seminary, and it was a privilege to get students with me, and we were going to this international gathering of Presbyterian churches from all over the world, the global south, Europe, North America. We were excited to go. So we flew into Budapest, and then we took a van and headed across the country, and we had set up opportunities to stay in homes as we were traveling across Hungary before we were getting to Debrecen. We were in the central part of Hungary. We spent the night with some families there at a small Presbyterian church, and before we left the next morning to go to our next town, They asked if we could take time to see a place of which they were very proud, and rightly so. The Presbyterian churches in that area had discerned the Lord's leading to buy a facility, a home, a residential facility, and to provide education and care for children with disabilities. We were delighted. So we got into our van and we followed the pastor in his car. There were elders with us. We pulled up in front of this home about 40 minutes north of the town. And you could tell right away that this building had seen better days. The principal was in front with her staff. They were so excited to have these American Presbyterians tour their school. They were so proud. We went into her office and we heard about the school And we had tea, that's part of the routine, and then we went out into the hallway outside her office and instantly we were besieged by children. Beautiful, gorgeous, delightful children. Persons with disabilities, all of them, some with Downs, some with other physical disabilities. You could tell some cognitive challenges. They were so excited to meet these strangers. Some of my students picked up some of the smaller ones and they were carrying them around. They were laughing and giggling. It was a marvelous time. And then we turned a corner and the principal said, I want to show you this part of the school. This is where we house children with severe developmental disabilities, physical disabilities, severe and profound. 
and we turned down a hallway into a room, and I was not ready to see. Around the perimeter of the room, there were children, all with severe and profound disabilities. And each of them was in a cage. I was not ready for that. My students weren't ready for this. I caught my breath. And the interpreter and the pastor and the principal could see that we were startled and troubled. And right away she began to try to explain through the interpreter that, that these children, this was the best place to keep them safe. This was the best way. Otherwise, because they can't control their bodies, they would fall out and hurt themselves. So this is the best. And, and we don't have enough staff people. We're doing our very best. I believe that to be true. That we have too many children. I understand that. And the state schools are so much worse than this. This is a better place. I understand that to be true. And I believe her. To this day, I do. But these were children. And they were in cages. So she tried to usher us out of the room because we were visibly shaken. And she said, let's go for the rest of the tour. And I said, that would be fine. Take my students and go. I just want to spend more time with these children. And she said, no, professor, you should, you should go. I said, no, that's fine. Just give me a few more moments with these children. And she said, all right, but hurry. And I said, I'll catch up with you. And they left. And I went to each child. And I tried to put my hands as far as they would go through the bars of each cage. And I stroked hair, held a hand or a limb. And I said the only words that came to my heart. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own. I believe that to be true as well. Identity. Peter is trying to help these new Christians understand who they are, these new followers of Jesus Christ. You know this. Many of you understand that this fledgling movement of followers of Jesus, they were struggling from the very beginning. Is this a Jewish gospel only for Jews, or is this possibly for Gentiles as well? Could all persons be included in this good news they were struggling with identity, and they were struggling with purpose. Listen for the opening of Peter's words to these churches. He says, first, rid yourselves. Get rid of all malice and guile. Get rid of insincerity and envy and slander. Oh, uh, one of my colleagues, former colleagues at Columbia Seminary, a brilliant professor in church history, she wrote a commentary on these passages and Kathleen Gonzalez says in her language, 
The best way to put these verses is to understand that Peter is saying to this young church, get rid of all these things that burden you in caring for one another. Don't talk badly about each other. Do not wish that you were more like others. Claim your own sense of identity. Kathleen Gonzalez puts her interpretation on this marvelous text and says, set aside anger toward one another. Be who you are called to be. Then Peter uses this lovely image of the cornerstone and says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Come on, you engineers, you architects, you builders, you contractors, you know this. The cornerstone forms the set, the direction for the entire structure. If the cornerstone is poorly constructed, if it's off, the rest of the building is bound to be off as well. The cornerstone sets the pattern for the entire building. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Jesus Christ sets the pattern for the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. How you are to be, your identity comes from Christ. That's why Peter says, you are living stones. You are building yourself into a house based upon Jesus Christ, who is our cornerstone. That's who you are. It's your identity. It is this identity of the Ebenezer. The Israel people, they are besieged by the Philistines, a power around them. They are anxious. They are afraid that the Philistine army that is larger and greater and stronger, they are going to overtake them. And God saves the people of Israel. And in response to that, Samuel raises up a stone names it Ebenezer, literally in the Hebrew, a stone of help. You are living stones in the tradition of the Ebenezer. You are built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's your identity for this purpose. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people for this purpose. In order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of God who has brought you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You don't exist for yourselves. You don't exist for your own self-preservation. Every single time the church of Jesus Christ has focused more on ourselves and our own comfort, we have lost our way. Peter is saying to these fledgling believers, you exist in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of God who has brought you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So when I was teaching at Columbia, I was graced by a grant from the Lilly Foundation to research the question, why are so few 20 and 30-somethings in our pews. Where are they? We baptized them. Heck, we gave them Bibles and cake in third grade. <laughs> we confirmed them. We loved them. We went on youth group trips. We slept on the floor so they could have a good time. And they're 20 years old. 
these ingrates and they're gone. <laughs> What's happening here? So I use that grant money to have focus groups around the country, most often with young adults who were born and raised Presbyterians. Okay, there were some Methodists, they skewed the data, but still, <laughs> mostly Presbyterians. I was in a focus group in Des Moines, Iowa. There were 12 young adults there, all 20, 30-somethings. And there was a couple that somehow got into that group. And they were actually in a Presbyterian church. I called them the aberrations. <laughs> so I had my focus group conversation. I recorded all the data. And then I turned to the couple afterwards and said, I'm sorry. Um, can I talk to you afterwards? Because I need to understand what's wrong with you. And they said, sure, we'd be happy to, doctor. And I said, fine. So everyone else left, and I talked to them, and they told me this story. That they had both gone to Rutgers University in New Jersey. I know, Rutgers, fine. Yesterday, you beat them, fine. <laughs> if you are prideful about that, you are really in trouble. <laughs> By the way, God hates idolatry. Anyway, they told me they went to Rutgers University, met when they were juniors, fell in love, and just after they graduated, they married. They were thinking they were going to stick around in the Northeast, the only place they had ever known, and they both got recruited to different companies in Iowa, and they thought, well, golly, we don't know anybody in the Midwest, we'd never been there, so let's just try it. So they moved to the Des Moines area. And frankly, they loved it. They were able to buy a house they never could have afforded in northern New Jersey. They had great jobs. They liked the people. People were very kind. Uh, they had grown up Presbyterians all their lives. They visited a couple Presbyterian churches, but they didn't sign the friendship register. They're not stupid. <laughs> They've been there for about three years, and they were doing their usual routine and having a wonderful time. One morning, the young woman told me she was doing her quick monthly self-breast exam and she felt a lump for the first time. Never had a lump before. She called her mom right away in New Jersey and her mom said, Oh, honey, it's a cyst. I'm sure we have no history of breast cancer in our family. You're probably due for a cyst. Get it checked out, but I'm sure it's fine. She said, Oh, good, good. So she called and got an appointment with her physician. She saw her. And the physician said, I don't mean to alarm you, but this is worth a look. So I want to refer you to another physician, a specialist, and he'll do a biopsy, and we'll look at this some more. She said, okay. But I have no history of breast cancer in my family. She goes, yeah, I understand. That's a good thing. That's a key indicator. But I just want to check this out. She, of course, told her husband right away, and he said, that's good. We're being cautious. She called her her parents back in New Jersey, mom and dad, and they said, that's good, honey, we're being cautious. She called her in-laws, told them. She goes to see the specialist with her husband, and he says, I don't mean to be an alarmist, but this is worth a biopsy. We've got to take this and look at it. He called four days later and said, I need you to come to my office right away. She had a stage four cancer. He called it one of the most aggressive that he knows. He was afraid it already had metastasized. She told me they were terrified. She was terrified. 
she and her husband, family flew out right away, in-laws, mom and dad, her sister, her brother, and his wife, everyone started talking about this. She was so grateful for their presence. They made decisions, and she decided, of course, extraordinary chemotherapy, radiation to follow, but they were going to do a surgery first, mastectomy, and she was terrified about that, but this was important. They got to the hospital with her family, and they were checking in, and uh, the check-in person said, um, religious affiliation, and they said, oh, Presbyterian. And uh, they said, uh, what church, what congregation here in Des Moines? And they said, oh, oh, uh, we, we haven't really affiliated with the church. Um, the husband said, yeah, there's one place we visited twice, but we can't recall the pastor's name. The clerk said, that's okay, just tell me the church. So they told him the church, and... A chaplain called the pastor, said, there's a couple here. She's going to surgery in a few hours. And he said, who are they? And she said, well, they said they don't know your name. (laughs) And he said, okay. And she said, oh, they're a young couple. And he said, I know them. They didn't sign the friendship register. (laughs) He said, in our church, young people stand out. He came to the hospital within 20 minutes, introduced himself. He stayed there the entire day. Husband told me that the pastor was marvelous, such a comfort. Prayed with parents, in-laws, sister, brother, sister-in-law, prayed with them. Surgery happened. They got home to recover. Everyone leaves to go do work because everyone has jobs and they've mapped out when they can come back and spend time with the couple. But there were three days when nobody else was there. It was just her and her husband and he had to go back to work. On the second day, there was a knock on the door. She is not expecting anyone. She's lying down upstairs. She's sore and tired. She ignores it. Knock is persistent. She gets up, goes downstairs, annoyed, and opens the door, and there is a lovely older woman there, and she has a bag with her. And she says, hello, are you? And she says, yes, I am. Who who are you? And she goes, well, I'm from church. And she says, what church? And she says, oh, and she names the church. And she said, and the pastor told us what's happening. We've been praying for you. We are so sorry about this. And I brought you a casserole and some rolls and a fresh pie that I just baked. And she said, the young woman said, well, thank you. We didn't order this. (laughs) And she said, oh, no, sweetheart, this is what we do. Well, how much is it? And she said, oh, No, sweetheart, this is just for you and for your husband. It's free. This is what we do in a crisis. And she said, well, thank you. Do do you want to come in? woman said, well, do you feel up to it? I know you just had surgery. She goes, actually, actually, I, I would love some company right now. So she came in and put the food away in the kitchen they sat in the living room, and they talked, introduced one themselves to one another. They laughed, and they cried some. And then she was getting tired, and she said, I'm so sorry, I'm just tired. And the woman said, that's fine, sweetheart, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm looking around at your place, 
and honey, you need to dust. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of am not up to cleaning right now. Oh, no, I know, I know. You go upstairs and lie down, and I'll be quiet, but I love to clean. I'll just clean downstairs, and then I'll leave. Don't worry. She goes, you'll clean downstairs? Yes, but I won't do the vacuum. Just, it'll be quiet. So she went upstairs and lay down and took a nap. Husband came home, and he said, hey, there's food in the refrigerator. And the woman said, I know. It came from church. Husband said, what church? And they named the church. And he said, did you order it? And she says, no, they just came. Well, who was it? It was a lady, and she cleaned downstairs. She cleaned the house? Yes. They were amazed. Next day, knock on the door, a little louder, insistent. She goes downstairs and opens it. There's a gentleman there, older adult gentleman. He says, hi, I don't know you, but are you? And she goes, yes. He goes, oh, good. This is a chicken dinner, and it's not finished because you have to finish it in the oven, and it's important that you get it right. There are instructions there because if you mess up, I'm going to get yelled at, and I don't like getting yelled at by my wife. (laughs) And she said, oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. And he says, oh, and we're praying for you every single day. He said, oh, good. He said, all our whole church is. We're so sorry about this, but we're with you. And she said, thank you. Do you want to come in and talk for a while? And he said, oh, talk with you? And and she said, yeah. He goes, "Uh, no, no, I really don't want to. And she goes, oh, okay. He said, but I noticed your screen door. It's not working very well. I know it's wrong. It won't take 10 minutes. I've got my tools in the car can I fix your screen door? And she said, well, my husband's going to get to it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, young guys, they don't do this, but we know how to do this. It takes 10 minutes. And she goes, oh, okay. He fixed the screen door and he left. Husband came home and said, baby, there's a dinner in the refrigerator. She goes, I know, it came from the church. A guy brought it today. He goes, really? And I noticed did you fix the screen? No, she goes, no, the guy did it. The same guy with the chicken dinner. He fixed the screen door. He said, he did? Yeah, it took him 10 minutes. (laughs) This is a congregation of about 65 people, East Des Moines, mostly older adults. They brought a meal to this couple every single day for four months. Husband turned to me and said, we have never eaten so good in our whole lives. He said, we have frozen casseroles until Christ comes again. She turned to me and she said, I've already told my family in New Jersey. Whether I live for six more months or six more years or 60 more years, I'm never leaving this church. I'm going to die here in Des Moines with this church. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. 
You are a holy nation. You are God's own people. Why? In order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of God who has brought you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Do you understand? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people because once you had never received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is your identity. That is your purpose. Not for us, but for the glory of God. And for a young couple that was terrified and convinced they were alone. No. No. Because of the church of Jesus Christ, no one is ever alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.